You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? This is the 3AM Podcast. My name is DJ. My name is Charlie. My name is Sean. We tell first and secondhand scary stories. That's it. <laughs> uh... <sighs> Question time. Dude, what's the worst? <laughs> Fill in the blank. What's the worst? Date. Race? Oh, um, date? Sure. Bro. <laughs> I don't have one of mine, but someone we know closely. You know what I'm talking about? Talking about <laughs> okay, so everyone in this story will remain nameless to protect everyone in this story. But we were on Instagram, and I'm friends with some girls who are straight up PI detective level Instagrammers. <laughs> like they watch everything that's happening, right? And they sent us a group text. And it involves two people that we used to work with at the restaurant that shall not be named. And apparently there was an Instagram competition going on. And the question was, what is the worst first date you ever had? Whoever has the best story, like wins 50 bucks to a restaurant, right? A girl submitted a story about someone we know. And they named names, and they were so savage. <laughs> so what happened was... People ruthless on the <laughs> internet? What? what? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Uh, they went on a date, and they go and eat at a restaurant in Provo. And as they're sitting down in the restaurant, they see two officers walk into the restaurant. And they walk straight up to the like um, hostess. And they like, and the hostess just goes and points straight at our, the kid we know and his date. (laughs) And the officers walk over and said, is your name? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, come with us. And they arrest him and take him away. 
and the girl is sitting there and the whole restaurant's watching and she said like servers came up and asked if she was okay and like offered to pay for her food and she said it was the most embarrassing thing ever but, but the savage thing is he she like named this kid and he got arrested for like unpaid parking tickets or something really stupid but still it was just really embarrassing he had like a handful of parking tickets that he hadn't paid for years <laughs> so they were it was in on provo center street this restaurant that they were eating at and the cops are like doing their ro- routine scanning all the plates that are parked on the street and they find they his got a car. hot one yeah they got a hot one right that's there. like a level 15 crime in provo <laughs> <laughs> they were like they called in the swat team and stuff i bet for that just in FBI case open up because <laughs> nothing else is happening <laughs> they don't have no parties to shut down that night <laughs> Uh, shout out real quick. We have our real good friends, Mallory, Isaac, and Bree in the back. Oh, yo. So shout hear, out. If you hear some giggling. <laughs> it's not just a ghost. <laughs> Although it might be. There might be, yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, Bree's a teacher. Did you know that? Oh, cool. I was unaware. So she was just talking to you. Oh, crap. In our last episode. <laughs> yeah, she was just talking like, to us about how our last episode. suck ass. <laughs> She was talking about how those were the real horror stories with <laughs> your friend peeing under the desk and you running across the desk. I don't know. We legit lined up all the tables and sprinted on top of the tables back and forth. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> like pencils and stuff are flying and we would like <laughs> scream. Yeah. So sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask teachers is tell me about the kid you hate most. <laughs> Because they'll go on for an hour and a half straight. <laughs> Am I right? You can nod your head uh, a little bit. You you have your challenges, and I don't know. I like hearing them. <laughs> but I was on a date with this one girl who was a teacher, and I immediately perked up when she said she was a teacher because I think it's a good conversation starter to say, tell me about your kid you hate most. And she says, so I work at a special needs school. Oh, oh. <laughs> So she's like, I hate God for creating that. <laughs> Might be too dark. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm brown, so you can't tell, but I was blushing. Not blushing, but like red with just embarrassment. And it was a, we didn't go, needless to say, we did not go on a second date. You're all, yeah, have a, it, good, have a good one. See ya. Very, okay, very much ruined the vibe for the rest of the night. So. <laughs> That's my bad date story. Not the worst thing, but... I am not going to lie, but when you said, what's the worst date, I was thinking of day of the year. Oh. (laughs) Sean's like, dude, I hate March 11th, dog. I was like, like, what is the worst day? And I couldn't think of one. I started thinking of my favorite dates, but like, like, you know, like August 22nd, all Friday the 13th. You're so single, bro. (laughs) (laughs) You have none? I mean, I would have worse date stories if I went on dates. Bro, I usually get stood up, talking, dude. dude. You go on dates like eight times a week. Didn't you break a girl's ankle first date? But that wasn't like a bad for me. That was probably her story when she tells her worst first date. We went climbing, and she was doing one route, and we were doing bouldering, so there was no ropes. And she slipped fell landed weird on her ankle and the rest is <coughs> history 
Sean carried her to a car I did and never saw her, her again. Yeah, I haven't seen her since. <laughs> DJ and I got uh, pedicures last week. We did get pedicures. <laughs> and that was the first pedicure I had ever received. Dude, you apologized to the nice Asian lady like 400 times. <laughs> did I? About <laughs> what? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, my feet, I'm sorry. <laughs> 18 years of running barefoot on the island <laughs> the lava rocks just oppression and stress all <laughs> built up in your feet just callous uh no it was fun that day i learned how ticklish charles was bro if they touch the middle of my feet i instantly start sweating and have to grip the armchair so i don't <laughs> kick and like flail <laughs> we'll have to post that video okay it's actually pretty hilarious <laughs> Um, Kevin, our intern, he likes to get pedicures like once a month, dude. He he treats himself, and he says every time they come and they scrape. Oh, God. did you hear him tell this story? Mm-mm. He said, you know, when they come and they like scrape your feet. Yeah, with like the magic eraser or whatever <laughs> the cheese grater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that uh Olive Garden Parmesan oh. grater. <laughs> He said like several times he goes to the same place and it's like the same lady and she just gets so into it. And he said, as she's going, dust is just like in flakes <laughs> is like going on her. And then she collects it all. And then at the end she goes, look. And he said, it's like a plate full of crumbs. And that's like how a, you get coronavirus. It's a, it's a scene from Mad Max. She's just uh. like in the desert. <laughs> she's going to have to have like that bandana and glasses oh. on. She's covered in his feet. She's like, witness me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And he told me that while I was eating dinner. So I hate, I hate that guy. <laughs> that kid sucks. Uh, let's roll. Do it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. (sighs) I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light. Lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you're needing, if that's something that's missing... Give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am. And you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3am. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. That was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing 
that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Ten. Twelve. Twelve and seven. So me, Charles, and Sean. Okay, this story comes from Brucker who is one of our listeners. He is from Nashville. Shouts out. Shout out in country. And uh, the story, uh, it's kind of funny because we met Brucker through a bunch of different podcasters on Reddit. And they created like this group on Instagram. So we've all been talking, listening to each other's podcasts. And he gave us this pretty detailed report on what he thinks about our podcasts, as well as a story. So dope. Thank you, Brucker, for the story. Shout out his podcast. His uh, podcast is Film on the Rocks. So they review a bunch of different films, all different types of genres. Uh, I did see that the two horror movies he had, maybe not horror. Well, one of them is Scream, so definitely horror. The other one was Shutter Island, which is like mm. dramatic Suspense, drama, like suspense. Thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good movies on there. Very entertaining. This story comes from when he was in junior high. And he was watching, I don't know, the Discovery Channel. I feel like we've talked about this before, where they have those shows on Discovery Channel where it's like top 10 diners, drive-ins, and tithes in America. <laughs> water, like park. water parks. And it's like the Schlitterbahn. <laughs> Whoa, dude, chill. <laughs> <laughs> he was watching top 10 most haunted places in America. And one of them was in Tennessee, pretty oh. close to where he was in a small one-stop sign town <laughs> called Rugby. Hmm. Somehow, what is junior high? Eighth grade? S- seventh school? and eighth? Oh, uh, seven, yeah, seventh eighth? and eighth grade. Seventh yeah. and eighth grade? Yeah. Same as middle school then. Yes. So seventh, eighth grade, how old are you then? 13? 14. 14? Yeah. So as a 13 or 14 year old, somehow he convinced his aunt to take him and some friends to visit this place. Aunt's a real one. Dude, what a badass <laughs> aunt, dude. <laughs> I know, for real. Uh, shout out aunts. The town Rugby, Tennessee was famous for what's called the Newbury House. Hmm. And Brucker added a website where I could read all the information on the Newbury House. So I was excited to to read through it. So I opened it, and the actual website looked like it was made with, like, JavaScript in, like, 2001. There was, like, a huge <laughs> ad behind all the text. <laughs> so I couldn't close the ad, and it made all the words hard to read. So I don't know a ton of the history behind it, but the house itself is pretty haunted, apparently. It was on some show, so... <laughs> For some reason, believe it. That makes me trust it more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like even your site's haunted, dog. <laughs> so uh, this is his experience with staying at the Newbury house. So they turned it into a bed and breakfast. Dope. Which I feel like is disrespectful to history. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the spirits are still so mad and angry. Um but he, his two buddies, and his aunt drive down to rugby, and 
they have like a night or two there. They get to the house and it's in the early afternoon. They walk in, they turn on the lights, and as soon as they turn the lights on, all like all the lights turn off immediately. So immediately he thinks this is gonna be a good night. He's stoked, <laughs> which makes me think we should have him on the podcast. He's a sicko, bro. At some point, yeah. <laughs> Just like us. Um they drop off their luggage, they try to figure out this electricity situation. Lights aren't turning back on. Real weird. So they're like, let's, we're hungry, let's go grab a bite. Right across the street is a restaurant. And they get sat. Their waitress comes up trying to make small talk while they're placing their order. And the waitress says, so where are you guys visiting from? What you doing here? They're like, oh, we're actually from Nashville. And we're staying at the Newberry house. And the waitress's eyes go super wide. And she says, lock your doors. She runs to the back of the house or the kitchen or the restaurant and out comes another waitress and they don't see her again. So apparently she switched and didn't want to serve them anymore. Their meal goes fine. They finish up. They walk back across the street. As they're walking towards the house, the lights in the house are on. They're like, cool, we have power again. They step inside the house, and once again, all the lights turn off immediately. So they're pretty suspicious at this point. They are trying to unpack their clothes. They're like, let's get out for a little bit. Uh, They do know that there's a graveyard in the same town that's tied to this house. And Brucker and his friends really want to go and visit. So... The ant drives them down to this graveyard. <laughs> and I feel bad for this ant because it seems like she's just like on a leash this whole time doing whatever <laughs> they want to do. They get to the graveyard. They're all getting out of the car and the ant is hesitant. She's like, I, I, I think I'm going to stay here. So like, okay, whatever. <laughs> We're just going to go and explore for a little bit. So after they're just exploring by themselves, some time passes and their aunt is out of the car and is watching them while they're exploring. And at this point, they're already kind of far into the graveyard. And they see their aunt and they're waving at her. And she's standing there watching them. And they, they beckon to her to, to come to them at which she starts coming. And she's getting closer and they're like trying to talk to her. She's not responding. And there is a gravestone that she walks to and stops behind that gravestone. And in Brucker's words, their aunt vanished. Just disappeared into thin air. Like they're watching her and she just... They're watching her. And this comes from him. And his two friends that are with him. They, they're they all watching her walk towards them. Kind of strange because... She's not talking back She's to not them. talking back to them. She stops behind a tombstone? She stops behind the tombstone and she just vanishes. So they walk up to the tombstone. 
Oh my gosh, dude. I would probably do the same. Okay. Thinking she's maybe hiding behind or something. Maybe like fell down real quick to like hide. <laughs> I see you. Pulled a DJ and rolled her ankle or something. <laughs> uh, they get to the tombstone and to their astonishment, no ants were found. <laughs> it's not okay. Not okay. They look at the tombstone and some, you know how some tombstones have like, more money in it. <laughs> this particular one had an actual picture of the person. As it got, as the person got closer, they thought it was their aunt because it had the same short hair, same body type. They could recognize that it was dark brown hair, and it was the same kind of facial structure and hair in the picture on the tombstone. Ooh. And they look back into the distance at the van, and their aunt is still sitting inside there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Doesn't that suck that you still have to be poor when you're dead? <laughs> <laughs> like some people have a rock with, like, etches in it, and some people have, like, a castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's scary about the aunt. <laughs> so they're pretty freaked out, obviously, at this point. So they run back to the car. Aunt drives them back to the house. <laughs> They get to the house, <laughs> they flip the lights on, and, and? it stays on. <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> so, Brucker's blood is pumping at this point, to the point where he can't sleep. And he's, they're really out here, so they're trying to find more scary things. So what do they do? They go into the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his friends, while his aunt is just like, I'm out. Like I'm <laughs> just going to bed. Um, they go into the basement. There's no lighting down there, so they have flashlights. Prepper, dude. Nice. They have their flashlights. They're not finding anything too crazy. It's like dirt floors. Uh, they do find a wall that looks newer than the house that was put up towards the end of the basement when you go deeper. <laughs> and there is like a hole, not a hole, Brucker sent pictures of this place. So he sent a picture of this wall, and it looks like somebody knocked a part of it down from the top. So you can hop over the wall to the other side. And on the other side, there's more basement as well as a well. (laughs) (laughs) So he climbs over the wall, and they only have one flashlight And he tells his friend, you shine the flashlight while I walk up to the well. So he's walking to the well and there are some, there's like rocks and like brush covering part of the well. So he wants to move that out of the way so he can look inside. And as he reaches down to move these plants and these rocks out of the way, he feels and hears a slap on his hand to brush him away from touching the well. That point, he hightails it back to the wall, hops over, and they get out of the basement. Now, the last thing that happens in this house, (laughs) this just keeps going. Um, They decide they're done for the night. 
He's Under- reached his limit finally. Un- understand. The sicko. Go, go slaps. Yeah. <laughs> go slaps. No. <laughs> um, they go to their rooms. Well, I, I assume they stay in one room. Uh, they together. better be. They better be. <laughs> Dude, do you remember when we would sleep over, or I, I would sleep over at your guys' house because I wasn't roommates with you guys, but I pract- I, I kind of was. You were. <laughs> yeah. You just didn't pay rent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Continue. Uh, we would watch scary movies. <laughs> and then right when the movie finished, both of you would be like, okay, good night. <laughs> And just leave me and Jordan in the living room. Jordan and I were the scared ones. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Good night. And Jordan can, can I? was like, hey, you want to just crash here in the living room, dude? I'm like real tired and comfortable. <laughs> we'll just sleep here. I was like, yeah, dude, let's do that. <laughs> uh, that was Brucker and his friends. So uh, they are in their room. They turn all the lights off. They wait a little bit to see if anything else happens. As if they didn't get enough. <laughs> Nothing happens. <sighs> so they finally lay down and they close their eyes. And as they are dozing off, for what he described as what felt like hours, they w- heard constant growling and scratching underneath them, all on the sides of them. And on the ceiling above them. Nope. Not wanting to go anywhere, they stay glued, lying on their backs, (laughs) listening to all of this happen. And it's coming from underneath them, too. Everywhere in the house, all around them. At one point, you know how earlier I said this is a one-stop sign town? Uh Uh-huh. And this is also sometime in, like, the 2000s. So they all have flip phones. And the pictures he sent were pretty, like, 240p quality, 144p <laughs> quality. Not the best. But uh, reception wasn't great back then. So in a small town like this, they didn't have reception the whole time they were there. So while this growling and scratching is happening in this house that they're trying to go to bed in, his phone starts ringing. When previously he couldn't make phones, phone calls during the day. So he's just letting his phone ring. He's just letting the growls growl (laughs) (laughs) and whatever scratch. And they're just laying there terrified. Like I said, he feels like this is going on for hours. They can't go to bed, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. After some time, all of the noises at one time, immediately stopped and silence filled the room which is like a weird thing to think about silence filling a room it's like but after going through that for hours and they don't hear anything somehow that scares them even more until they were able to fall asleep (sighs) to which they wake up and they pack up and then they leave but that was the story of brucker at the Newbury House in Rugby, Tennessee. I think, I don't know, it's super relatable because as growing up, I loved like ghost hunting, going to haunted places. And there was only a couple times to where it turned from being like the most fun thing in the world to like not. (laughs) And I think we all kind of know that feeling of like when it stops being fun and all of a sudden you're like, oh no. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, it kind of, I'm not like trying to victim blame or anything, but like he was axing for it. <laughs> they were kind of axing for it, dude. <laughs> dude, I think the noises at night were the ant getting back at them. Uh, ooh. <laughs> like, and the little shuts. <laughs> <laughs> Just scritching on the floor and stuff. It, it was her in the graveyard, too. Oh. <laughs> she was real. She fell backwards and then crawled. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, auntie. <laughs> Slithers into her little <laughs> Xterra or something. Her RAV4. <laughs> Dude. Uh, Shout out Brucker. Thank you. Yeah. So I just looked up the rugby hotel. Dude, that's what I want to do next episode. Is go there? Yeah, go there <laughs> next episode. Let's no. do it. <laughs> Record in the Newberry house. <laughs> Funny of you to assume that I would have money to go there. <laughs> um, no, uh, study up on it and talk about the actual history next episode. Okay, then never mind. <laughs> Share a little snippet, though. Just the first thing that comes up is a um, TripAdvisor. Ooh, recommendation? What does it say? Or a review? Five out of five ghosties. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, TripAdvisor, <laughs> and just the title is "It Is Haunted." Is this is somebody's in all review. Caps. Yeah, <laughs> says, it is haunted. They yelled "is" and then necessary. Th- and then three out of five stars. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's haunted, but it's I. <laughs> so they said, "I specifically asked before um, booking this place if it was haunted." He laughed and said he hasn't heard anything since he has worked there. Dude, I cannot read sideways. <laughs> Okay, after a night of hearing things all around us and having a disturbing experience like electricity shooting through my whole body, we decided not to stay a second night. When we turned our keys into the nice lady working at the visitor center, she proceeded to tell us as many story or many stories of paranormal activity. <laughs> so it was like after they were leaving, that's when they that's when they actually <laughs> told them. Um, the area is beautiful, blah blah blah. Anyway, so yeah, mad people are having experiences there. That first dude was a liar. I know. He's like, so what are you talking about? Nothing's haunted. Anyway, that here. credit card number. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, I'm going to look into that a little bit more because the story was a little last minute because we just got it. A little bit of that history. Read it, wanted to share it. Didn't have time to go through the actual history, mm. but I'll look through it. Nice. Nice. Bro, when you said. The server at the restaurant said, lock your doors. It reminded me of a really quick story. But my wife and one of our best friends, so MJ and our best friends, Janelle, um, they travel the world. They've been to how many countries so far together? 30, no, together, I think it's 20 plus. Yeah. But they've they've seriously been everywhere. And every, almost every continent. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> traveling traveling is really fun and you usually only see the best parts of traveling and this might be like the most first world problem i could ever like i'm sounding right now but there's a lot of difficulties to traveling as well for instance when sean and i we got stranded down in south america because our airline went on strike <laughs> we slept under the stairs for two days and ate bread with butter that we paid like seven dollars for <laughs> For like two days. Anyway, so they're alone. 
and they're traveling through a destination I'll let you know later. <laughs> so the person who like sold their ticket was like super nice, showed them the cart or their little thing. I was like, all right, like here's your beds. Um, if you guys need anything, just contact I know, the conductor. Um, it's going to be an awesome ride. And she's closing the door and then she's like, by the way, lock your doors because you might get robbed at night. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this story. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it's super common for like gypsies to go up and down the train. So the train was from Prague to Budapest. And she said, we were in Eastern Europe. It was not cute. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Janelle's texting me right now and it's, I'm excited to see what she says because when the lady said, lock your doors the second I close this door because you might get robbed by gypsies and then slam the door, Janelle just started crying. (laughs) Oh, man. And she said she didn't sleep all night. Like it was the worst. She was so afraid because the the conductor legit said like they might break into your room and like rob you guys. Good luck. And I don't know. It just reminded me of that when the lady was like, lock your door. Hmm. She said, ha, 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 Prague. Because <laughs> she was helping the ant scratch the floors and the, the ceiling. <laughs> Like, stay in your room. Don't come out. <laughs> <laughs> the server yeah. took me a minute, but I got there. That's funny. Mm. Okay. You're on deck. Is it me? Mm. If you grew up in the 90s like I did, chances are, and if you had, <laughs> I'm going to just say it, bad parents. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you might have come across Unsolved Mysteries. Did you guys ever watch that growing up? I recognize it as soon as I saw the overhead, the aerial shot of Stonehenge. <laughs> so. Did you grow up watching it? I didn't grow up watching it. I had seen it, though. Oh, my gosh. So we Unsolved Mysteries, the theme song is legit. The soundtrack to tear, like to, to fear of my childhood. <laughs> and every time I was in Vegas, me and my cousins... We're like eight or nine. We try to stay up with the older kids and watch Unsolved Mysteries 2020 Dateline and things like that. So I thought this week I'm going to do a couple of what I think are and what Reddit thinks are (laughs) the scariest Unsolved Mysteries segments. I'm excited. Buckle up. All right. So this first one is from Unsolved Mysteries Season 4, Episode 16. Ooh. And it originally aired in 1922. So when we were little ones. All right. So it's a story about a small town in... Did you say 1922? <laughs> <laughs> I looked at you and I was like, that didn't sound right. They just invented the airplane. <laughs> it's like back the, when the Stonehenge... Page, the paper airplane. <laughs> paper. Papa. In 1992. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So it's about a small... T- Damn it. You stupid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm starting to understand why my teachers hated me, too. <laughs> Anyway, they're like, you can't count. (laughs) All right. So this one takes place in a small town, a small farming town in Missouri called Clinton. 
And when they describe this town, it's like your quintessential uh, middle America town. Like everyone knows each other, small population. There's like a town square. Everyone goes to the football games Friday nights, right? So this story is about a lady named Angela Hammond. And Angela, everyone called her Angie. She was 20 years old and she was loved by everyone. She dated the star athlete in high school. They were like high school sweethearts. And he just proposed to her. So they're hanging out one night and his name is Rob. And Rob says, hey, I got to go home. My mom's like working a late shift. So I got to watch my little brother. She said, okay, perfect. So they made plans. She was going to drop him off. He was going to watch little brother. And then when mom was done, he, he would go meet up with her again. So they roll up to the house. Um, she drops him off and she says, bye. I'll, I'll call you in like an hour just to update you on what's going on. And he's like, cool. So, what? <laughs> teenage boys are the same, dude. They're all generations. How so? running away from home, meeting up with their girl. What? You're talking about... No, they're like... hearing the wrong thing? Yeah, they're like chill. Like he was just like, hey, I got to go home and watch my little brother. Drop me off and then we'll like meet back up later. Never mind. I heard something. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Did that make sense? To you? That's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I heard something It's at least one third of us. (laughs) So in 1922... Um, (laughs) okay so it's a 11 15 and there's a there's a ring on the phone and rob picks it up and she's like hey it's me like how you doing and they go over the night and just kind of she's telling him what's happening she's seven blocks away so not that far in the middle of town at a payphone and as they're chatting um, he, he can kind of hear her like, I don't know, getting distant or like drifting. He's like, what's up? And she's like, I, there's a truck. And he's like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of trucks. And she's like, no, no, no. This one, it keeps circling the block. Like, I think it's its third time around. And he's like, what's the truck look like? She said, it's an old Ford. It's two-toned and it's green. And he's like, huh? And like, they know most people in town. They're like, oh, maybe he's just lost. Some guy. She's like, oh. So they keep talking, and all of a sudden, the truck pulls up right by the payphone. And Angela says, oh, the guy just pulled over. He's, like, parking. What do I do? And Rob says, well, what does he look like? And as the guy steps out of the car, she starts describing him. She says, he looks really dirty. He has a mustache and a beard, and he's wearing overalls. And she's like, huh. And he's like, should I come down there? She's like, no, I think it will be fine. So the guy gets out of his truck and he walks up right to the payphone by her and he starts trying to use it. And she's like, oh, he's just trying to use the phone. And Rob's like, okay. And keep in mind, this is a unsolved mysteries. So they're interviewing Rob. So you get to see the story as he's telling it. And as he's talking, you can like see it in his eyes. He's reliving it. And um, so the guy who is talking on the phone or try, trying to talk on the payphone by her turns around, goes back to his truck, pulls out a flashlight, and he's looking like in his truck. 
And Rob says, maybe you should ask him if he just wants to use the phone, he can use yours after you're done. So she asks him and he's like, he just like shakes his head. After she roasts him, she's like, he's real dirty and poor looking. <laughs> I don't think he heard. Like the guy didn't hear. Know, her. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do you want to use? She's like, this asshole. <laughs> so um, she kind of says, it's fine. Like whatever. He's, he was just trying to use the phone. And they start continuing to talk. And he's like, okay, I'll come meet you. And in the middle of her sentence, she screams as loud as she can. And she, Rob hears the phone drop, and he hears the guy say one line. I didn't need to use the phone anyway. So Rob stands up, runs out of his house, jumps in his car, and drives in the direction of where she is. And as he's screaming down, as he is speeding down the road, he sees a pickup truck going past him the other way. And out of the pickup truck, he hears Angela yell, Rob! And it goes, yoom, the other way. So he slams on the brake, turns it into reverse, and then backs up, whips around, and is chasing the truck. Drift King. Sorry. (laughs) DK. (laughs) Yeah. So he can see two figures in this truck like a male and what looks like Angela on the right seat and they're struggling, right? Like he's like grabbing her hair and pulling her around and he's hot pursuit. He just got engaged to this woman. But what he doesn't know is when he threw his car into reverse, he effed up his entire transmission. So the truck takes a right. He screeches around the corner, takes a right and his transmission completely gives out and his car slows down to a stop and he watches the truck disappear into the distance until this day no sightings and no one knows what happened to Angela but watching him tell the story like terrified me as a kid and even when I rewatched it an hour ago you can just see the hollow void in his eyes when he describes hearing her scream on the phone. It's super weird. Forgot to mention, she also said there's a decal on the back of his window that covers the entire window of a fish jumping out of a pond. She described the make and model, the stickers on the car, what the guy looked like. So they have a ton of evidence, right? Like they should have been able to find this car. No one ever found it. And this same guy is connected to two other murders in Missouri. So a month before Angela's disappearance, a 42-year-old woman was working at a convenience store, and she too was on the phone with her son. And as she's talking to her son, she said, hey, will you stay on the phone with me? There's this guy, and he's just kind of lingering outside the convenience store. And the son is like, no, I'm coming down there. She said, how long has he been there? I, I don't know. He's, I just noticed him like an hour ago, but he keeps like coming close and then leaving. So the son gets in his car, rushes down there, and when he gets to the store, there's no one there. Two days later, they find his mom's body 10 miles away from the convenience store 
she had been shot twice. And another disappearance, really similar MO. An older woman was working at a convenience store. Um, Like witnesses saw her working there. And at some point from her locking up the convenience store and walking to her car, which is right around the corner, she was never seen again. And because this is unsolved mysteries, most of these are unsolved. And so this one's this one's unsolved. <laughs> I don't know how to end it. <laughs> I think that Rob did it. Okay. I thought about that, dude. And then I think the other dude was a copycat. That's an awesomely wrong theory because <laughs> immediately suspicions turn to Rob. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, there's no way he's such a good dude, right? That's what they said about so they Ted bring Bundy. Him, <laughs> did they though? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so they bring him in for questioning. And after two days of like intense questioning, they don't go into it, but he's completely cleared by the authorities. That wouldn't be the first time that someone guilty was cleared by authorities. It's true. Um, and you can never really say. You can just hope that like the officials did their job justly but i don't know back in the day like they police were what's the right word so i don't sound like an asshole juvenile no uh i don't know they they've just made a lot of advancements in forensics (laughs) and police work (laughs) since the 80s but that is the story of angela hammond hmm I try to think of like helpless situations. That sucks, dude. Just being on the phone with your loved one and hearing their last. Well, also like his truck, his oh. transmission failing and oh, breaking yeah. down. I can see him trying to rest- like restart his car, like step on the gas, nothing. He said in his interview that was the hardest time in his life was being that close and knowing you could do nothing. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, innocent until proven guilty. So Mm -hmm. if any of you have information on this disappearance, contact Unsolved Mysteries, not us. Contact 911. (laughs) (laughs) Also, was she rich? Because, like, a payphone, like, she's just putting quarters in, putting more quarters in. (laughs) Why didn't she just go and talk to him? He was babysitting a little kid. A lot of people, so I read a lot of the forums and like uh, a lot of the comments on it, and most of them, like you, were blaming the victim. So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but a lot of them were like, why would she not just go home? And I don't know. There was a lot of like different theories. One of it is, I don't know. One of it was like, she was being cute. And I was like, what? In a payphone? I don't know, dude. That is not cute to quote <laughs> your wife. <laughs> not cute. Anyway, I don't know. But stuff like that. I wish I could know the answer. It's pretty unfulfilling, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I blue-balled everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's it's always just easy to come up with, like, what to do when you're not in the situation at the time <laughs> and you're not under pressure. I don't know why I'm reminded of this story. There's no, like, direct connection. But do you remember when we were in L.A. a few years ago? Yes. And our friends Will and his sister Sarah Higby. Yeah. And us four and Nolan. Yeah, the five of us. 
are just kind of gallivanting around the city. And we were staying at my buddy Ethan's house. And his roommate is just, uh, everyone in that house produces music full time, makes money from doing it. So they're connected in the music scene. They're all cool. They know what's going on. One of his roommates, while we're all chilling, walks past and says, hey, what you guys doing tonight? Like, I don't know. What is there to do? He's like, I heard there's a party at this hotel. And then walks away. Oh, <laughs> so we're like, okay, cool. Let's go check it's it out. LA, so we like... went, and it's in downtown LA. And downtown LA is dirty. And kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and we get there, and it's about midnight. And the streets are empty. There's homeless just <laughs> sleeping here and there. Like, no cars. Nothing. We pull up to this hotel. We park. Nobody there. And we're like, what kind of party is this? <laughs> and we walk in. And there's a bouncer. And he stops us. And he's like, let me see your IDs. Give him our IDs. And he motions towards the elevator. We walk in the elevator. It's old and rickety. The floors are like checkered, has that old timey feel. Doors to the elevator close, and there's one button. What? And the button says upstairs. (laughs) So all five of us are like, whatever. YOLO. (laughs) And we press it, shoots us up, 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 up. We're not stopping. Finally, after. A half hour of riding this elevator. I thought we were in the Wonka Vader. <laughs> the door opens and there is a like great Gatsby like party on top of the roof of this skyscraper in downtown LA with a pool and a bar and a DJ. And people are having a good time. It's loud and boisterous and pompous. And we immediately feel out of place. Bro, Loki, I felt like we were the ones that were going to show up that had to fight each other for everyone else's enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, like some eyes wide shut type bro, party. Bro. It, w- <laughs> it was pretty crazy. It was surreal to be there. Um, but while we were just kind of chilling, having fun, uh, Sarah was the only girl in our group. <laughs> and she was hanging out with us. And. These group of girls who were out for the night right next to us, like the table right next to us, like pulled Sarah over to the side. And we were like, what the? And we saw them talking back and forth. And after like 15 seconds, Sarah comes back and continues the conversation like it's normal. Like, what just happened? (laughs) She's like, I'll tell you later. But those girls were smart. And they had a bad feeling about this one girl being with four dudes. And they were just checking to see, like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Blink twice <laughs> if you need help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Sarah was like, oh, no, yeah, this is my brother, and these are some of my best friends. That's so. really sweet of them. <laughs> it was. It was cool. <laughs> so I'm glad there are some people in situations who are looking out and, like, <laughs> being aware. Yeah. But And it's cool you guys didn't be, like, get all offended. Yeah. We <laughs> asked her, like, is everything all what right? What the hell? What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. We were just kind of, like, it was out of the out of the blue. Yeah. The party yeah. was pretty fun, though, like after getting up there and getting over the we're out of place here vibe, because I wasn't I was I didn't I'd just come from Mexico and had no dress up clothes. <laughs> I was like shorts and a T-shirt Ch- and chanclas. 
<laughs> I'll throw it at him. <laughs> but after that, it was like, oh, this is kind of cool, actually. Mm. It was fun. Yeah. Nice. Good times. I think that just speaks to us. I, we can be a little more alert. Yeah. So Everyone out there? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm always so impressed when they do police sketches, how well they remember people. Because I'll be honest, if, if, if I witness a crime... I'll lucky I'll be lucky if I'm like he had two eyes. <laughs> and that's all. I have no idea. <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah. There may or may not have been hair. Um <laughs> but sometimes they're like they know they like he had six wrinkles on his crow his crow feet on the side of it. You know what I'm saying? Like the detail they get into. Like, True. The- <laughs> Some people are too aware. <laughs> Hyper aware. Yes. So I don't know what we're saying. Anyway. Should I do one more? Dude, why not? Just throw it in. YOLO. Let's do it. Okay. This was another highly voted, regarded unsolved mysteries case. Give it to me. I'm going to solve it right now, too. (laughs) (laughs) No, Sean, the point is not to (laughs) solve. All right. So this one is about the Tallman family. And the Tallmans, there was Alan and Debbie Tallman and their two kids, and they asked for their kids' names to be changed to protect them. And this happened back in 1987, so quite a while ago. <laughs> so the Tallmans were a church-going, credible family, is how Unsolved Mysteries... I don't trust them. ...describe them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Off the bat. Um, and they were from Hurricane, Wisconsin. Once again, it was a small farming town, much like the last place I described. Dude, small farming towns are easy to get away with murders. I'm just saying, not... Dude, you're a psycho. <laughs> Stop talking. Okay, so the Tallman family. Small town, two little kids. They're a young family, and they're just doing their best to build their little slice of paradise. And they buy their dream house. This is the house that they think they're going to grow up their entire lives in and raise their family. Dope. So they move in, and immediately both of their kids get really sick. And the mom talks about it, and she says, it felt like they were sick more than they were okay. She was constantly taking them to, like, the doctor to get checkup, and they could never figure out what was going on, but they would have, like, fevers and stuff. Mm. So they have a little two-year-old girl and I think, like, a 10-year-old son. Um in the house. And so I don't know where, but along the way they buy this bunk bed and this bunk bed is like a handmade bunk bed. Um, it looks the pictures they had. It looks interesting. It looks very handmade. (laughs) They put it together in the basement, but the night that they decide to move it up to the house, things start happening. So they move it upstairs. The boy will call um, Danny. Danny's sleeping in the room next to the room with the bunk bed in it. And he had inherited his mom and dad's alarm clock. And he thought it was awesome because he could like listen to the radio. Oh, nice. You know. Yeah. He was way stoked. So as he's falling asleep and the parents are falling asleep, Danny comes running out of the room screaming. And they're like, what, what's going on? And he said, the alarm clock. And I'm like, what about it? And they said, or Danny goes, it keeps going back and forth. And he said that the the station, for those who don't know, (laughs) 
you used to turn into the radio and you would turn a dial and it would go over the stations and switch stations, right? <laughs> and he said that it would just keep going back and forth, back and forth. And his dad sleepily says, hey, if this is going to be a problem, we're just going to take your alarm clock away. Obviously, he doesn't believe his child. And Danny's like crying. They get him to calm down. They get him to go back to sleep. A um, couple days later, the dad, Alan, he's downstairs in the basement and he's painting. And his wife's making lunch upstairs. And she says, like, Alan, food's ready. So he goes, oh, okay. And he wipes his brush off and he very carefully sets it on his tray so that it doesn't drip anywhere. Runs upstairs and eats. And he comes downstairs and he looks at the tray and his brush is gone. And no one else has been downstairs. And he looks over and in the paint can, the brush is turned upside down in the paint. Dickheads. Whoever <laughs> did that. <laughs> so now the dad is starting to believe, okay, something, you know. Isn't right. This is odd. It, not necessarily like the devil's in our house, but he's like, okay, this is odd. So a couple days later, within the same week, the mom is putting the two-year-old to bed. And as she's saying goodnight to her daughter, the two-year-old says, Mom? She says, yeah. And she goes, there's a witch behind the door. And the mom's hair stands up on the back of her neck as her back is facing towards the door. She goes, what'd you say, honey? And she goes, there's a witch behind the door. And her mom freaks out internally, not in front of the kid. She doesn't want to scare the kid. Mm -hmm. Goes, tells Alan. He's like, that's weird. They decide not to tell Danny. A couple nights later, Danny starts sleeping in the living room. And the mom says, Danny, are you okay? Like, what's the matter with your bed? And he goes, uh, it's... It's nothing. She goes, no, what is it, honey? And he goes, I just keep seeing this old lady standing at my door. Nope. And they specifically didn't tell Danny because they didn't want to freak him out, right? At this point, the mom is terrified. Understandably. Right, yeah. So she does what any God-fearing Christian woman would do, and she contacts her pastor. And she says, we need you to come over, and we have some stuff to tell you. And that once again, they're interviewing the actual pastor. And Homeboy was quick to diagnose this as demonic entities. <laughs> he said he like walked in, felt the presence. They told him what happening. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's demons in your home. <laughs> <laughs> Beans, greens, tomatoes, <laughs> demons, Satan, Lucifer. <laughs> okay. So after that, things seemed to escalate. Each of the family members um, recall hearing like their names being called in a distant part of the house. They would hear slams in the kitchen, doors slamming shut, and the kids are terrified. They will not sleep in their room at this point. And so Alan gets so fed up, and I bet he's just like loss of sleep. You know, he can't protect the feeling of helplessness, like he can't protect his family. He loses it one night, and in the living room, he shouts at the top of his lungs, like, leave my children alone. If you want to mess with anyone, 
mess with me. And after that, he comes home from his job one night, gets out of his car, and starts walking to his front door on a windless night. When he hears a howl of wind start to pick up. And he said it sounded like like a storm all around him and the wind and howling just got louder and louder, like a rushing. And he hears, come here. And he, it's behind him. So he turns around and he hears again, come here. So he goes around the side of his house. And as he goes around the side of his house, the howling is gone. The wind is gone and there's no one there. So he turns around, starts to go back to his door and the howling starts again, getting louder and louder. And he hears it one more time behind him. Come here. He turns around and he sees inside of his garage glowing fire. His garage is on fire. So he runs in, terrified, sets down. He remembers he set down his lunch pail. And he thinks, my garage is on fire. Runs back outside, looks at his garage. No light. So he thinks he's full on losing it. Terrified. Runs inside, grabs his lunch pail, and starts to walk into the living room. And the lunch pail is like punched out of his hand across the room. And his wife said he came into their bedroom, threw his keys, and he just lost it. He was like running around screaming. And it took him, it took her a while to calm him down. So the whole family's on edge. Don't know what to do. No one can sleep. They're all terrified. And he has to work late several times a, a week. So he like calls one of his relatives, like his brother, to come stay. Then, oh, go back. They're all tired. They can't sleep. It gets to the point where Alan has to sleep in the room with his two kids. So he sleeps every night on the floor. And one night as he's, what? Just asking <laughs> his t- kids to tuck him in. Right? <laughs> he's like, Danny, there's a noise. Go check it out. <laughs> he's like, lame ass dad. <laughs> okay, so he's sleeping on the floor. And as he's falling asleep, his eyes shoot wide open. And he's staring into the darkness of his room. And he says right above him, he sees mist starting to come in and it starts to solidify into a figure. And in both of his ears, he hears, you are dead. So he sits straight up, screams, grabs his kids. And they, from then on, they all sleep in the same room. They don't know what to do. They're at their last straw. Pastor's not helping at all. (laughs) And he has to work late night shifts several times a week. Understandably, he doesn't want to leave his family home alone, so he calls a super close relative to come stay the night until he can get home. The relative, they don't want to tell too much because they want the dude to, to stay at the house, right? Plus, his, he knows his brother doesn't believe in any supernatural stuff at all. So he thinks it will be like a calming presence. He'll protect the house. It'll be good. But what happens that night is, while Alan is gone, his brother is laying down waiting for Alan to get home and his brother's eyes pop wide open and right above him he sees mist starting to come over him and he sees the mist start to solidify 
and in his brother's ears he hears, you are dead. And his brother sits straight up through the mist and screams at the top of his lungs and runs out of the room, leaving the children. Wife comes in and says, where are the babies? And he says, in the room. And he's like screaming. She can't. They grab both babies. They grab all of their stuff and they leave. And they never went back to the house. They went and stayed with family members. They sold the house and they had the bunk bed destroyed in a landfill. Until this day, people ask them if they think it will follow them. And they said they haven't experienced anything yet. And since they left, they have never experienced any supernatural occurrences. And a new family moved into that house and they haven't reported anything. The end. That's an interesting object to be haunted, a bunk bed. And there was like no real connection. Like they mentioned it in the beginning of the story and then like that's it. Hmm. I don't know why, but there for some reason that family connects and attributes all the hauntings to this bunk bed. That's weird. <laughs> you said it looks super handmade. <laughs> yeah. Like wood? Yeah. Or like Legos or? <laughs> like I went to Home Depot and tried to make a bunk bed. That's how it looked. <laughs> Yikes. Did you ever see that show, uh, Haunting, Haunting of Hill, Hill House? House? Is That's that what exactly you're thinking about? Yeah. Where she was like Broken sitting down on the lady. couch. Yeah. That was pretty terrible. That's the first episode. Oh, yeah, dude. But I was waiting for the smoke to come over Danny and say, like, you're oh. dead. And Danny would be like, Danny's not here. No, <laughs> <laughs> <Hello>, Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> ghost is like, oh, Just damn it. Troll, <laughs> troll the ghost. Dude. Like, you chill, you chill. <laughs> like, if you uh, want the Wi-Fi password, just ask for it. <laughs> if there's one thing I think we all know now is never challenge entities. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After the dad said that. Come at me, bro. Ghost is all like, damn, shoddy, all yeah. right. Challenge accepted. <laughs> no, um. But. I was talking to someone the other day, and um, she was, like, into scary stories and stuff like that. And she's like, at very least, after, like, listening to all the scary stories and all the stuff that's happened, I'll know what to do when something comes up. Because she's like, I brought it up to my family or, like, a group family at holidays, and no one knew what to do or no one – everyone would, like, freak out. Yeah. She's like, but I feel like I'm going to be good uh- because – I've been listening to all these stories about what people have and haven't done and what works. <laughs> Bro, I kind of did a inward self-reflection and I was wondering why am I so obsessed with like scary stuff and true crime and murders? Because it is like a weird taboo thing to be into. And I came down to or I decided that I'm just data mining. So it's like when a situation comes up, I will better recognize it and I will have more data to act off. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I might mm-hmm. be like, I might know don't do this. Don't do that. And I think that's what helps my anxieties. In life. <laughs> that's what you tell yourself. Yeah. <laughs> really, I'm just I'm data mining I'm so boy. that I can do these things. Yeah. So my story today comes from a coworker of mine. He's our HR guy. I told him that I would tell everyone that he's the best HR HR guy we've ever had. His name is Victor. HR people are either the best or the worst. He's dope. So, cool. <laughs> um, uh, he started listening to our podcast a month or so ago. Shout out, Victor. What's up, dude? Listen to the Dugway sheep incident. And he's like, bro, I got to tell you about a story that my friend has 
out in that area of Utah. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, share it. He's like, I can't remember exactly. I'm going to have my friend send it to me. Dude, real quick, somebody commented about how they were on a military base there, assigned there for a little bit, and he said the weirdest things would happen while he was there. Bro, apparently the... Like in Dugway, that military base is like a beacon for UFO and paranormal activity. Wild. That, so it should be Storm Dugway. Storm <laughs> Dugway. Yeah, where are, we, where are we going to Area 51 for? <laughs> so his friend sent him the story, and he shared it with me. And so this last weekend... I decided to take a little drive into the uh, West Desert to just get a little more acquainted with the area before I tell my story. Sounds like I had, to go, I had to go check on my uh, dump sites out there. <laughs> Make sure no one was seeing stuff. JK, I'm innocent. I never did anything bad. Um, this last Saturday, I went down to Dugway all the way to the military base and drove around those kind of, well, mountain and desert area right in around there. Mostly just because I wanted to kind of get a feel for the West Desert because, honestly, we don't go out there very much. Usually we go east because it's much prettier. Yeah, so what's it like over there? So it's basically just like arid desert. (laughs) So you got like the mountains and then lots of like shrubbery, bushes, some trees every once in a while. Actual trees? Every once in a while. (laughs) High desert, yeah. Yeah. And in the words of MJ, not cute. (laughs) (laughs) So with that being said, after seeing it for myself, getting a little bit better uh, idea of this story, I wanted to share it with you. So this story comes from Victor's friend, whose name is Dan. Now they have this program where... They'll take underprivileged and, like, rehabbing kids out into the desert to camp and, like, just basically provide and survive on their own with these counselors to rehabilitate or whatever, right? So his friend Dan, and it sounds like from the story that Dan is the head counselor in this group. There are about four other counselors, so I think five total. And they're out south of Dugway in this desert, and they're on one of their hiking and camping expeditions because they have, like, their home base, and they'll take the kids out on these hiking expeditions, and they'll go way out there because there's a bunch of different groups of these kids, and they don't want to meet up. They want to be out by themselves on their own. So they uh, are out there on one of their expeditions, and they are... West of the Sheeprock Mountain Range. I had to look that up so I could go find it as well. So from their camp that they set up out in this desert area, they can see the mountains, and they see what looks like to be a cave. Now, they can't tell if it's a cave or if it's like a big tree that's casting a shadow onto the mountain. So they're like, one day, hey, let's just take the kids and go on a day hike from their little base there. So one day they take off on this hike, and it's they estimate to be about two and a half miles away. Now, most of these kids, well, all of these kids don't really want to be there, and so they're complaining, making up excuses, not wanting to do stuff. But eventually, 
at about 4 o'clock, they end up taking off, 4 p.m., they start taking off on this hike. And it's about two and a half miles away. So for like, for me, I'm like, okay, that's going to be like 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. For them, they stop every 200 yards because the girls, and it was a group of girls that they were with, and then the counselors, they just didn't want to hike. And when they did get hiking, they were hiking really slow. So they start off on this hike. And they stop every 200 yards or so. So it's taking them really, really long time. Now, Dan, at one point during this hike, kind of gets this feeling of maybe we shouldn't go to this cave. Um, He doesn't say anything, but then one of the other counselors comes up to him and says, hey, I don't know about going to this cave, actually. And they're like, well, maybe it could be a mountain lion or like an animal living in this cave. It's probably getting like dark as well. Well, and it's still light out, but, and they anticipate to be able to make it back before it fully, the sun fully goes down, but Mm. they are going slow at this point. So they don't know. So he's like, okay, well, if we notice there's any like animal, like footprints or anything, we'll just leave once we get there. So they continue, they keep hiking and stopping and, Another one of the counselors comes up to him and says, and this is why I think he was this head, the head counselor or whatever, they had a bad feeling about going to this campsite. And he said, well, at this point, we're almost there. We'll be good. And then the other counselor's like, okay, yeah, we'll, prob- we'll be good. If, if there's, like, any animals, we'll just turn around if we see anything. So that's their plan. Now, they keep hiking, and they get to another stop. Um. And it's kind of random. In the middle of the desert, it's like this hard, packed down, like dirt, like arid desert. But at one point on their stop, they, and they're just, they're going across the desert. This is not a trail. They're blazing their own trail trying to find this cave. They come to this part where it's like this mound of red sand that's probably like six feet wide and like an anthill in the middle of it. So it's just like a regular anthill, but it's like, like, uh, just a place of note that they recognize that's Mm. not normal. So they keep, or they see this, and then they keep walking. Eventually, they get up to probably like the last half mile of this hike towards this cave or whatever, uh, as far as they know. And it's starting to go uphill, steep and sandy and stuff like that, so they start to slow down even more. Eventually, they get to pretty much where the cave is, but it's up a 40-foot cliff. But they can definitely tell that it's a cave now. And there's also a big juniper tree outside of the cave. So, like, it was hiding the cave as well. If they hadn't noticed it a little bit, thinking it could have been a tree and deciding to kind of go and see what it was anyways, Mm. they probably wouldn't have noticed. So they realize they can't go straight up, but... They can go up and around, so they decide they're going to go up and around towards this cave, and he's kind of like second-guessing, like, maybe we shouldn't do this, but then the girls start climbing up, (laughs) and he's like, okay, now he has to go and catch the girls, and he's thinking, like, at the same time, if any of the girls go into the cave, we'll just, like, we'll, we'll get them out as fast as we can and and get out of there if it's anything like sketch. Bro, this guy just ignoring all the warning signs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. There's some red flags that came in the the uh, uh, just zero <laughs> form of of bad feelings yeah. from all of the counselors. So eventually, they get up around this this ledge and behind the tree as they're getting to the cave opening, and they realize that this cave is actually big. It's like thirty feet wide. 20 feet up and probably goes back 50-something feet, but they can't quite see into it yet. Okay. Now, strangely, when they get to the top, all of the girls just kind of lose interest. But they all just kind of go and sit on the ledge as they watch the sunset coming down over the other mountains. So it's like they lost interest in the cave to look at the sunset. However, all of the counselors were still like, okay, well, let's still check it out. So as the girls go start sitting on the ledge to look at the sunset, and just before they go into the cave, he remembers hearing a bird call. He's like, he thought it was weird because it sounded like it wasn't a bird, but like a person making a bird call. And it sounded like it was coming up from above the cave. And then he heard three bird calls from down in the valley almost as if they were returning the call. He thought it was weird, but they're already there. (laughs) So they go into the cave, and he's the first one in. He makes it to the back, and they see like this pile of bones. It's kind of dark, but all of a sudden he's like, okay, this probably is an animal's cave. And as as his eyes start adjusting, he notices that the bones are not chewed on, or like broken, but sawn. So someone has sawn, sawed the bones and placed them neatly in a pile. So as he realizes this, he kind of backs up and like hits his head a little bit on the rock, like a, a little rock outcropping. <clears throat> and as he does this, he also notices that there was a little shelf that was built into the cave wall or like carved into the cave wall, little like kind of arm height. And he could tell that the shelf was the color of dark red, like blood color. And as, as his eyes continue to adjust, he notices that there are faces painted on the wall above this shelf. And it's like white faces with like dark eyes and toothless mouths just strange-looking, scowling faces with, like, symbols around the faces as well. Ew. And as he kind of follows it, as he's looking at these, he sees, like, up on the ceiling, it looked like it had been, like, spray-painted, and then more faces painting, painted on top of the ceiling. And this is probably, like, 20, 25 feet high. <clears throat> so... He starts freaking out, and like the couple of counselors that got as far as he did in start freaking out and start backing up as well. As they get out of the cave, they're like starting to panic a little bit because they see these sawed-off bones, these paintings with the scowling faces and stuff like that. and The whistles. The whistles, the bird calls that he heard. So they get out to this ledge, and they're like, girls, we're leaving. 
and the girls could sense like the urgency. They didn't ask any questions, and they but they just started to leave. Now, instead of going back down the way that they came, they decided to go straight across the mountain to another place where they could go down instead. And as they go straight across the mountain, and as the sunset is still going down over the other mountains, it catches the light on the cave, which also had two big black faces painted on the cave, just like looking in down, down in on it. So like on the outside of the cave, like looking down on the cave. At this point, he sees someone above the cave crouching in some bushes. And it occurs to him that that was probably who made the bird call initially. So they, with urgency, start going across like the mountains and then start going down. Now, they're trying to go as quickly as they can. It's starting to get dark because it's sun setting. The other counselors notice? The other counselors notice. Because as far as I know, all the counselors went into the cave. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it occurred to them that the bird calls were made by a human. But this one counselor. This one counselor did. The girls are fine. The girls so far are fine. They notice the urgency. They basically follow the orders to, we need to get out of here, but they aren't asking questions yet. So they start running, and like I said, this isn't a trail. They basically blaze their own trail. Now he had like a GPS system with him where he had tagged the location of their campsite, so they knew how to get back. So that wasn't going to be an issue. But as they started running through the desert, they could hear this person running after them. And at one point he said he saw who it was, but it looked like they were dressed in like like buckskin, <laughs> like just leather clothing and was like hunching beneath the, uh, the uh, bushes so that it wouldn't be seen. <clears throat> As they continue running, they hear the sound, and this is the uh, the uh, sound that they would call out with other counselors, so that they knew, like, uh, where each other were. They hear the sound of a pig. That's the sound that they would do. A pig? Yeah. Nope. So they hear it in front of them, like ahead of them, and they're all of a sudden like, "Okay, someone else is showing up." And they're like, they start to calm down. They make the call back and then nothing. And then they hear the footsteps coming around them at the same time, just following them. They continue running and eventually they get back to the red pile of dirt that they noticed earlier. As they get to it, all the girls are just standing around, like looking down at this pile of dirt. As he gets to it, he kind of goes through the girls and like, what are you guys looking at? And it's a pile of things on this red dirt pile. And he notices that this pile of things is from their campsite. I knew it. It's like some trash bags from him, his bag, uh, a leather sheath from one of the other counselor's bag, a cooking kit from another counselor's bag, and he notices it's only the counselor's stuff. So A, they know who's in charge, where they sleep, and where their campsite is. 
So like complete vulnerability. <laughs> complete vulnerability. Such odd, terrifying like behavior. Now, they start freaking out. The girls start asking questions at this point, like, what's going on? Like, we just need to get back. We need to get back to the campsite. And they don't have a vehicle right now Everyone either. for themselves. <laughs> just start running. <laughs> what, somebody's Achilles while everyone else runs? <laughs> Push the weak one over? Uh, yeah, as long as you can get faster than the other person. But they don't have a car right now either because they get dropped off. Mm-hmm. They know that the car's supposed to be showing or the truck's supposed to be showing up the next day. So really all they can do is make it back to the camp. And at that, uh, now they know they're vulnerable there as well because of this pile of things just left out in the desert. So they continue to run. They finally make it back to their campsite. And he uh, notes that this was one of the only time the girls just followed orders and did what they said. <laughs> because he's like, okay, we just need to move all of your tents around ours. So that we're all together. It's funny, funny how when y'all scare for your life, you'd be listening to rules, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so they clump all of their tents together so they're next to each other. And all the girls like get in their tents to go to sleep. But the counselors stay up and they kind of walk like 50 feet away so they can talk without being heard by the girls. And he said one of these counselors was like, I don't get it. I yes, we saw the paintings, we saw the cave, but we didn't take pictures. Nothing happened, so why are they still after us? Huh. As he says this, one of the other counselors was like, oh. Fuck. And she takes her bag <laughs> and pulls out a couple of these bones because being out in the desert, you have to get used to using things whenever you can, like, kill animals or no, no excuse <laughs> <laughs> this is what she said that doesn't suffice <laughs> she says that well in the desert you have to get used to using things so she had these three bones with her in her bag so he takes the bones and they can hear like people like around the camp like running around still so he takes them. They were probably about 100 yards off of the road. He goes to the road and down a little bit and yells out into the desert, but also kind of like a scared yell, like, here here you go, guys. Here are your bones, and just like lays them on the ground. And they leave. So they go back to camp. They're sitting around like their campfire as like all the tents are around them. And they're just trying to figure out what they saw at this point. And all of a sudden, they hear the sound of an owl somewhere out in the desert. And it was this uh, wonderful time that one of the counselors decided to tell them in Navajo culture, the sound of an owl means someone's going to die that night. What a dickhead. Yeah. So they're freaking out even more. I'm glad these people are in charge of rehabilitating the youth. (laughs) Um, They start freaking out more. They're basically, they can't do anything, but they hear like the sound of people going, walking around the camp or like running around the camp, like footsteps and like crunching of tumbleweed and stuff like that. And then eventually, and this was in their story at 3 a.m., it started to rain. So they kind of put up a shelter over the tents to kind of protect it from the rain. Please tell me there's a flash flood. (laughs) But now they can't hear any of the people out there anymore 
fortunately as well, they couldn't hear the owl either, but they couldn't hear anyone running or walking around their camp. So they're almost more vulnerable now. They don't know where whoever it is is at. Mm -hmm. Now, they wake up in the morning and they see footprints all around their camp. Some were feet, some were moccasins. Like bare human feet? Bare human feet, moccasins, boots, all of those. And then eventually the other counselor who brings the car shows up. They're able to, they tell the girls to pack everything up. This is actually where he noted all the girls just did what they were told without asking or complaining. They get everything in the truck and they leave. And then he says, this was not the last time we would encounter this group out in the desert. But that's for another story. I can't believe they just went back to the desert. (laughs) Yeah, the fact that Homeboy returned, I'd quit, bro. So he did say one of the counselors quit when they got back. (laughs) Yeah. He said that. Some of them went on leave. I don't give a damn about these youth. (laughs) They also said they went back to the cave to show their leadership, Mm -hmm. and everything had been spray-painted over. So nothing was there anymore, like the bloody faces or anything like that. It had all been spray-painted and graffitied, and the bones were gone, obviously. couple things. (laughs) What if... It's just the most elaborate rehabilitation program Ooh. ever. It's like, we're going to scare these girls straight. <laughs> they were hoping the girls would go in the cave, and they didn't, but still worked out. Two, Jurassic Park, Lost World, number two, when Homeboy steals the Velociraptor eggs. Oh, dude, that's number three, bro. Oh, my gosh, you're Apologies. <laughs> Apologies to my Jurassic Park anthology enthusiasts. <laughs> and he like opens his camera bag and he has the vlog and he gives them to the Velociraptors. And he's so shamed. And then that guy's like, or Alan yeah. like, writes him off. Anyway, that's what made me think. Or it reminded me of that. That's why I thought about that too when I was reading. I was like, hold, why? Do you remember the Chilean dude who used to, I used to tell scary stories with at the restaurant and he was friends with the Navajo guys who told him the story about the, skinwalker on the roof Mm. oh yeah i once told him that i was going to go out into the east desert to an abandoned mine Mm -hmm. and explore at night and he got dead serious and he's like bro don't go out there i was like why not and he's like people sacrifice animals and stuff out there all the time and there's like satanic rituals out there all the time He's like, I'm dead serious. Don't go out there. He was so, he was convinced I was going to die. And I was like, oh, whatever, bro. I'm going. You know? <laughs> but it's just weird. This, this is not the first time I've heard of stuff going on in the West Desert. In Utah. West. I apologize. I said East. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, and granted, I read this story and I was like, I got to go check it out. <laughs> did you find a cave? I didn't find any caves. I did find the mountains. I found the military base. Um, went to a couple like lookouts and I couldn't see anything, but that was it. That's a really good story. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. It's so like almost elaborate or movie esque. It's hard for me to believe, but if it really did happen, 
then that is terrifying. It is terrifying. If that's legit, and the thing is, Victor from work mm-hmm. said he also worked with his rehabil- re- rehabilitation for like a year or so, or oh. like a summer. So he knew all these people personally and what they did. So he believed this story. So he was like told by multiple people? Yeah. He was like, mm-hmm. this is terrifying. Because that's just so wild to be caught out there. Yeah. I don't know why, but the whistling creeped me out the most. People communicating around you and you like don't really realize it. Don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> in my hometown and in California, the vatos, <laughs> los mexicanos, the Mexican gangs, they communicate by whistling. And there's a very distinct whistle that you do. Mm-hmm. And the the warring gangs in California, especially Central California with the Mexicans, are north versus south. And they both have a distinct whistle. And I knew both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, bro, I should be dead. <laughs> One night I was climbing on top of this really tall building in downtown Visalia and allegedly writing my name on the tallest building in my town. Get at me. <laughs> and... We were like looking down. It was getting late. We're like sitting on the edge of this building, and I see these two loked out baisanos, and I could tell that they were from the northern gang because of the colors they were wearing. And because I'm an idiot, and because I was friends with idiots, I I you throw I, I whistle out the south whistle. You stupid <laughs> bro, <laughs> homie with the white socks up to his knees and the black dickies down to his uh. Uh, Nike Cortez's <laughs> he instantly like squares up to the air bro like <laughs> just turned around and was like whoa what the fuck where you at <laughs> where you at motherfucker <laughs> and we're like laying on the roof laughing bro he did not leave for like 40 minutes I think we whistled like once or more twice he's like like as he started to walk away we did again he's like hey what the fuck <laughs> he like stayed there for like 30 minutes looking for us and we just like laid up on the top of the roof laughing <laughs> But, like, if he would have just, like, sat in a bush and waited and we came down, he just would have murdered us. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Dude, thank you, guys. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah. A lot of different types of stories tonight. It was good stuff. Good variety. Remember how we talked about Missing 411? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know how accurate this is, but it's on the webs. <laughs> it has to be accurate, then. But I want you guys to look at this photo. So, in... This post that Charles is showing us. And real quick, this was sent to me by my sister and, yeah. This was sent to me by my sister, Heather. There are two maps of the continental United States. And one of the maps have the cave system. So the map on top is the actual David Politis missing 411 map. So when he started to realize that there was, like hot spots for these disappearances. He was like plotting points of where those disappearances were. And that is compared right next to a map of the mammoth cave system throughout the U.S. And they are the same. (laughs) It's creepy, yeah. So all the cave systems in the U.S. and all the hot spots disappearances are like okay. there is a definite correlation. I saw that exact same one, but with a different map earlier today. It was correlating the David Politis plot points of all the disappearances, disappearances, with all the through hikes in hmm. the U.S. and they were all the same as well. So like through hikes and caves, 
What are through hikes? So like you'll hike from point A to point B, like rather than just a loop. Yeah. So you're hiking and they're like longer hikes as well. Yeah. Spanning like states. Yeah, yeah. So like multiple states. Continental Divide Trail, PCT, the AT. A ah. um, couple things. <clears throat> so if they're around cave systems, does that mean the government's using caves or Bigfoot's live in caves? Second. The government is Bigfoot. Third. <laughs> the s- second is I don't see any in Alaska. So I'm finna move to Alaska. Well, Dude, there's a couple in cool. Hawaii, dog. Oh, cave system's not missing people. Never mind. <laughs> uh, dude, mole people. That's the answer. All right. This has been this episode. <laughs> this is the 3 a.m. podcast. We love you all. We seriously appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, trust you got to watch your back. I love you. Be safe. Be careful out there. Let's see you later. Right. Bye. be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loop serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.